the outside student doesn't even realize when they're writing the inside student that they're bringing with them their biases and prejudices, and they only come out once they start to have this exchange. And it's our hope with this book because of the incredible variety of voices from all around the country with all different age groups is that people will recognize the humanity of the incarcerated population. Society. Here we are with Kathy Clarich. She is the esteemed author of Madam Dead, A Tale of Love, Voodoo, and Civil Strife in Haiti. Also, So Spoke the Earth and Women Writing in Prison. She won a Knight International Journalism Fellowship in 2010 for investigative reporting in Haiti, which is pretty cool. If you want to read her work in really cool publications, you can check out Time, The New York Times, ABC, NPR, surely wherever great writing is published, you can find her work. She's done writing workshops in Florida prisons. But the reason that Kathy is here with us today is she's an amazing writer and a lovely human being, but also she edited the anthology that we're going to be discussing today called Hear Us, Writing from the Inside During the Time of COVID. This is a bit of an interesting episode because usually I have authors pick a book that they didn't write. And you were involved in the production of this one, but you didn't write it. So we're going to talk about it as if it was not something that you wrote. And it's forwarded by none other than Edwige Dantecat, who for the literary people among the audience, she is a really fantastic and esteemed and amazing writer who has a personal connection to some of this stuff. I'm just going to quote from the very end of Edwige's forward, which her last line is, seek and you will find oppressed voices reaching out to be heard. This is an amazing book. It's a collection of writing from prison during the time of COVID, the time that we're currently living through. But most of this is centered on about 18 months ago when COVID was really uncertain and ravaging prisons and ravaging the outside and nobody knew what we were doing. It's a really powerful book. I've never read anything like it. I've never read writings of prisoners. I've never read writings of contemporary prisoners. I've read writings of prisoners from hundreds of years ago. Boethius comes to mind, but I've never read writing like this that is so contemporary and so present and so raw and also beautiful. It's really great writing in pretty much every case, and it's insightful and it's interesting. And so I'm going to stop gushing about it and I'm just going to ask you about it. So how did you get involved in this project and what can you tell us about it? So in order to understand how the book came about, I have to talk a little bit about my work inside the prison because that was really the genesis for how Hear Us came to be. So I am actually the founder and executive director of Exchange for Change, whose mission is to teach writing inside correctional institutions. And we're based in South Florida. At the time when COVID hit, as a nonprofit organization, we were teaching 33 writing classes in correctional institutions down here in the Miami area, but all kinds of writing classes. So not just fiction, nonfiction, poetry, but debate, journalism, playwriting, screenwriting, songwriting, sort of everything that you would think somebody on the outside would be interested in, we were trying to offer on the inside. And then of course, like everything else from one day to the next bang, Everything got shut down and we got locked out and didn't have any access to our students. But what we knew was happening inside was magnified hundredfold by what was happening outside because social distancing can happen inside. Of course, it was all very new, so people weren't really clear what was happening. But one thing we knew for sure is that they were not getting 
PPE, right? And they weren't getting soap and they weren't getting hand sanitizer. So if you know anything about prisons, most incarcerated people get a small hotel bar of soap once a week, which they use for absolutely everything. And clearly with the amount of hand washing that they would need to do to protect themselves, a bar of soap wasn't going to go very far. So we pivoted as a nonprofit away from writing and put together GoFundMe and we're able to secure 10,000 bars of soap, which we distributed to our students and the institutions they were in. And then little by little information about what was happening started to trickle out. And obviously the news wasn't good. And that was what we were hearing from our students here. But then we were also paying attention to what was happening in prisons across the country. And we thought we're a writing program. We should be documenting what is going on in real time, naively thinking that this is all going to be a two or three month epidemic. And we want to make sure that we capture what it is that's going on. So we reached out to organizations that were also doing work in prison and put out a call for submissions for people to document what was happening. And then, of course, we realized after two months, our deadline was too short because COVID wasn't going anywhere. And then Black Lives Matter happened. So we extended the deadline. And that's sort of how this whole book came about. So you teach workshops inside prisons to incarcerated people. What is one of those workshops like? Can you take us inside and talk to us about what that might be like? Sure. Our classes are all voluntary. So whoever's inside the prison can sign up for a course that we offer. We made a conscious decision when we started that we would be offering something that the Department of Corrections doesn't. And in Florida, that's really easy because the only thing they're required to offer are GED classes. So we ask that our students have a GED. When they take our class, we don't ever check and they may, may never have gotten their GED, but they're clearly able to read and write and analyze. So classes are usually held on a semester basis, once a week for two hours. And mostly they're just writing feedback discussion. And what it does is it allows people to engage their intellect and their academic curiosity and improve their communication skills. And the name came from this idea of exchanging with academic institutions on the outside. So let's say, Lucas, you're teaching a class in songwriting. All right. And so we teach a class inside on songwriting or lyrics. So you would study lyrics with your students on the outside and my students would study lyrics and then they would exchange a writing about a certain text that they read about the lyrics. And then that begins a conversation that those two students have that lasts an entire semester. So we do it with short stories, with English composition, right? All of those things. So that was where the exchange element came in. But what we really saw happening was the exchange on the inside in the classroom. So an exchange of ideas between gang members of rival gangs that would sit and talk about literature or members of the transgender community that were in classes with people who might not be accepting of their gender issues, right? And creating a more wholesome atmosphere in the classroom then spills out onto the compound and creates a more wholesome place for people to live once they're inside prison. Wow, yeah, coming together through literature and through ideas, which is, I think about the best idea 
that you can have to promote change is to get people to think about the same things and discuss what their thoughts are on them. How did you get some of these? Because some of this writing is pretty critical of the prison system. You obviously weren't able to go into the prisons for part of the pandemic, I would imagine, right? Ironic to the day, from the day that I left, it was one year before I got back inside. So yeah, we were we were not inside at all. The writings that actually appear in the book, all of this was done through the mail. Our partner organizations across the country somehow got information inside to their students to say, hey, look, here's the call for submissions. If you guys want to write something, send it off. And we received over 200 submissions from 18 different states. We went through those first submissions and pulled the ones that were more likely to be accepted by the book. So let's say we sent off 75 to 100 to a three panel editorial board that we put together. And we said, okay, your categories are yes, no, and maybe. And of all the ones that we sent, they only agreed on 12. So we had a lot of work to do to then figure out what else was going to be in the book. So the end result is things that people have written from incarcerated women in Alaska to people on death row in San Quentin, a lot of submissions from Florida because we had more Florida submissions overall because we could reach our students easier than some of these other institutions. But we have 58 submissions from 10 states. Most of the submissions are from incarcerated writers, but we do have a couple family members and we have one person who works for the Department of Corrections. There's one from a sister about her brother who had died inside of COVID. And that, I don't know how to describe it. It's really easy to forget about people in prison. That is the point of prison, is to put people in a place where you forget about them. And it's really easy for us, even as liberal, social justice-minded people, to forget that these people exist. This book not only brings their voices right into your hands, but these are people that seem very much like me and think very much like any of us. I guess the hard part is that you assume that everyone in prison is evil and is there for a good reason. In some cases, maybe that's true. In some cases, that reason might be they made one mistake one time 15 years ago. Reading this book, it's amazing to just sort of meet someone's mind who's in a completely different world than you. One of the things that struck me is that in some of these pieces, you hear the prompt. Clearly, there's a writing prompt and they start with the writing prompt, and then it goes into this crazy, imaginative world. I really love that. So it actually made an element of surprise every time that I'd be like, oh, okay, the prompt was write a poem. And then it's like this really highly organized Sestina that you could never have conceived. And it really just showcased some of the brilliance of these incarcerated people. I have to respond to that because it's so interesting. The prompt was write something that will take our breath away. That's all we asked. And it could be about COVID or it could be about Black Lives Matter. So at no point did we say we want a poem or an essay or a short story, right? And one of the issues, and Edwige and I talked about this in the very beginning when we were trying to come up and conceive how this would look, was the concern that they would all sound the same, that they would all be this horrible story about how awful COVID was in prison. And for all your listeners who I'm sure are going to go out and buy this book, what you will see is this amazing variety of voices that you're talking about, Lucas, because there is humor. There are a lot of lines that you can't get through the piece because they do take your breath away. It's not the kind of book that you're going to read from 
front to back because it is heavy. And I particularly want to speak to the piece that you mentioned by Tina Barrett about her brother, JB. And I happen to know this situation really well because JB was one of my students. And he was also a musician, which you would love. He had a band and his whole world was music. And so when Tina talks about not knowing her brother's life, she only really knew it growing up with him. And then she's in Ohio and he was in Florida, so she didn't get to see him very often. You ask anybody on the compound where he was for the last maybe five or six years of his life, and everybody loved this guy. They loved his musical commitment, his smile, his wicked sense of humor. And so learning of his death was really, really difficult. And she addresses that beautifully. Yeah, I love that essay. I flagged that one. There's just so much to it. One of the most powerful things is that she said that he was a really important person in this really underserved community. And there isn't someone right behind him to take his place because he really dedicated his life to making incarcerated persons lives better and making them able to see that they could make different choices and do better than him and how they could do that. And that's not a mantle that someone else is just ready to take on, that it was such a profound loss that only the people who knew him would know about. I did not know that there weren't really any prompts. And I think that that comment of mine and that reaction of mine says probably more about me than it does about the book that I'm imagining like a movie where you're teaching prisoners how to read and write English. And I have no idea what the reality of working with incarcerated people is like. And I think I put a lot of my own biases on this book because I read it without even realizing it. You said that really organically, right? And I think that that's the idea behind the exchange class, right? Where the outside student doesn't even realize when they're writing the inside student that they're bringing with them their biases and prejudices, and they only come out once they start to have this exchange. And it's our hope with this book because of the incredible variety of voices from all around the country with all different age groups is that people will recognize the humanity of the incarcerated population, which you said in the beginning is deliberately separated from the rest of the world. So we don't think about them. We don't hear from them and we don't have to see them because most prisons aren't anywhere near big urban areas. It's like you'll drive by and you go, oh yeah, there's probably a bunch of criminals, bad people, evil people locked up there. I'm really glad they're not anywhere near us. And we're trying to unpack some of that so that people can recognize there is a lot of humanity inside. Not to say that people have not left victims and done a lot of harm on the outside that people have to pick up after a crime has been committed. Sure. Yeah, of course, there are victims. And of course, there are genuinely bad people in prison. But it's a little bit like a documentary that about something that you know, you should know about, but don't really want to know about it is kind of in that vein, but do your soul a favor and read this book, because it really will make you understand some people that you never would have thought about better and see them in the same light that you see your friends. There's a poem in here called blind Sestinas are invisible in the dictionary. Tibni Reth. I had to look up what a sestina was. And it's this ancient poetry form where the end word of each line is jumbled from stanza to stanza. It's just very archaic. And it's one of those forms that you really have to be smart and clever. And in order to write it, you have to really plan ahead. It's not just the kind of poem that you write off the top of your head, you really have to have it together. And she writes it and I didn't even realize that it was in this form until 
the middle where she mentions what a Sestina is and says someone's going to have to look up what a Sestina is. And so I said, I should probably look that up. And then I realized what it was. But it's just so incredibly clever. It's the kind of thing that if a friend of mine showed it to me, I would say, wow, that's fantastic. Good job. And I'd be very impressed. Let me just read a little bit from her bio, which is in the back. We ask each of the authors to write their own bio and describe who they wanted the public to know after reading their piece. And so she wrote, Tiffany Rath is currently serving a 36-year sentence for second-degree murder in the state of Alaska. She was born in Bandung, Indonesia, 57 years ago and became a naturalized citizen at the age of 12. She grew up in Southern California and graduated from Loma Linda University in California, as well as from Aurora University in Illinois. Before coming to prison, she worked in healthcare, social work, commercial fishing, commercial driving, and aviation. Among her many hobbies are cooking and travel, having visited four continents and eight countries. As of this writing, she still doesn't know what to do when she grows up. So one of the things that we did, Lucas, in trying to choose pieces is obviously you have someone who is highly educated and understands or even knows what a sestina is. But we also had a couple other people from Alaska who had never written anything before, but loved the idea of writing something for a publication. So we have published authors in here. We have first time writers. We tried to get a variety of religious backgrounds, sexual orientation, right? Because again, what we're trying to show is that the population that's behind bars is a microcosm of the population out in the free world. And again, to connect people to the humanity of the voices that we're highlighting in the book. Yeah, that definitely came through. I really liked there was one by a converted Muslim. There's a lot of stuff about the Quran, and it was a lot about his beliefs and how they've helped him get through. And I just found it really powerful. I'm not a Muslim or a religious person, but I found it very powerful, his writing and his conviction. And let's just for a moment, just spare a thought, all the listeners, just think about prison in Alaska. Think about what that might be like. That sounds like probably cruel and unusual punishment, no matter how you slice it. So then let's pivot to prison in Florida, which is where we're based, right? And let your listeners think for a second what it's like to live in either a two-person cell, which is either six by nine or seven by 10, or an open bay dorm, which has anywhere between 60 and 100 people in Florida summer in the Everglades with no air conditioning. Yeah, that was something that struck me here was that there's no air conditioning in the Florida prisons, which... That's not even legal for a Florida home, right? They certainly would supply it for the dogs and cats who go to kennels. So what does that say about our society? Yeah, so I have a couple questions just about prison. In your experience, why are most people in prison? Well, all right, to start with, probably most people committed a crime. And so the punishment is you're removed from society. And I think anybody who committed a crime who was found guilty, who has a conscience, gets it right, that there's a consequence for the action. There are statistics that show the percentage of women who are in prison because of domestic violence is extremely high. The disproportionate amount of Black people in prison to our general population. So we could talk about all of those things, right? The most important part for me is being punished means that you cannot operate in society, but it does not mean that your basic human rights should be taken away which is why we believe that education is a human right and provide it 
and also healthcare is a human right. And I think this book really shows that they were really neglectful in most states to provide basic human rights of healthcare when COVID hit. Yeah, that's very clear in here. There are a few pieces where they describe basically being locked down and fed cold, slimy bologna for months from separate prisons, the same story where they didn't really have enough food. Yeah, not that they didn't have enough food. It's because they decided that quarantine was the way to go. And so as opposed to those of us in the free world who would go for 14 days for a quarantine, because they continued to have officers come in to the prisons bringing COVID, there was this rotation of quarantines where in our prisons down here, it was up to four months. People were not allowed to leave the dorm to go to the chow hall. So the substitute for that are bagged meals of bologna and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Man, what a horrible situation. Do you think that prison rehabilitates people? No, I think that prison serves as a warehouse. There are so many missed opportunities to keep people out of prison before they get there, which is a whole other discussion, right? But there are mental health issues, there are addiction issues, and they all get thrown into the criminal justice system and then they all get dumped in a prison without the kinds of programs and treatments necessary to make sure that they don't come back in. So I know that a lot of prisons used to be corrective and rehabilitative centers, right? And now they took that off and they just call them corrections, but there's no correction that's really going on. Why are you interested in prison work and what drew you to it? Oh, wow. Well, I wasn't interested in prison work for most of my career. I was a journalist, so I reported for whoever I was working for, but I spent about half of my career based in Haiti, where I spent a lot of time obviously thinking about social justice and corruption and all of those things. I lived there for many years. When I came back to the States and started working again, Stateside, I wanted to use my love of the Haitian culture and my language skills with the Haitian population, but not in Little Haiti in Miami, because honestly, for those of you who can't see me, I'm a white older woman and they didn't really need me helping out in Little Haiti. So I went to the prison, the women's prison, and I asked if I could teach a writing course in Creole for Haitian women. And although there are quite a few Haitian women in prison, not enough signed up for my class. So I just started to teach writing. That became my foray into the system. Wow. Let's just talk about you for a minute. So tell us about Haiti. Tell us how you ended up there, why you stayed there for half of your career and what it's like. And let's just assume that most of the listeners know that Haiti is the other half of Hispaniola. And that's pretty much all they know about it. Yeah, or they know about the constant overthrow of governments and corruption and instability. So again, my path to Haiti was not a straight line. I was living in California and I was working for a nonprofit that had a store that sold handicrafts. We were trying to buy directly from the artisan, avoid the middleman, do gooder kind of thing. And one thing I knew about Haiti is that they definitely have handicrafts. And so I went to Haiti for the first time in 1986, and it was right after the end of the Dubai dictatorship. And the country was 
exploding with possibilities and opportunities. And I thought, oh, well, this is great. We can buy handicrafts for the store and we can get these small grassroots groups up and running and, you know, get income to them. And it serves the American population because I'll know more about who it is that's producing the crafts. So I said, I'm going to go for three months and I'm going to go around the country and I'm going to find these grassroots groups and Within a week of getting there, there was a government overthrow and then there was another government overthrow. And I thought, well, this is not such a good time to be going around as a white woman, not speaking Creole, looking for handicraft groups. But a friend of mine said, well, why don't you try reporting? You're there and all of this is happening. And that's how I fell into reporting. And I ended up staying for 10 years and not actually ever going back to my store. So that's how I got to Haiti. (laughs) Wow. Kathy, this has been so great. It's so great to hear about this book. Are there going to be more anthologies like this one? We had originally thought when we were putting this together that there might be around two, but I'm not sure. Certainly what we want to do is to continue to provide writing opportunities for the incarcerated population. And I have to say the letters that we've gotten, Lucas, from the people who've been able to see the book and not everybody's been able to see it because not all of the prisons let the book in, but for those who have, and actually everybody knows their stuff is included in the anthology. It's just so incredibly heartwarming because a lot of these people never thought their voice would go anywhere. And now to be included in this book that is available to the public means so much to them. In terms of a second book, I don't know. We have to see how the sales of this go and if there would be enough interest. Excellent. So there will be a link to the book in the description of this podcast and You mentioned a GoFundMe. What else can people do? Where else can people go to support your work? They should go onto our website and see what we've got. We'd love volunteers and we've got other projects coming up. So it's exchange for change with hyphensinbetween.org and look us up, get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you want a start in exchange for change in your own area. We're all about getting the word out. We're not proprietary about our program. We would love to see more possibilities for people who are incarcerated, have writing classes and exchanges with the public. Kathy, I'm going to ask you the last question, which is the question I ask everyone, which is to recommend two books to our listeners that you think they should read. Anything by Edward Stanticat. And a second one, read two books by Edward Danticat, and then we're good to go. <laughs> Fantastic. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you maybe at the Miami Book Fair in a few weeks. I will see you at the Book Fair. Our guest next week is author Jane Smiley. She's a Pulitzer Prize winner. She's a genius. She wrote a book about Charles Dickens, and she picked a Charles Dickens book, Our Mutual Friend, to talk about. It's a bit of a monster, and I'm not giving you a lot of time to read it, but If you have some time, I would highly recommend reading the book before the podcast. Also, she wrote a biography on Charles Dickens, so she knows a lot about him. It's fantastic. Her new book, Perestroika in Paris, it's the most delightful book I've ever read. It is really delightful. Highly recommend that you go buy it and read it. There is one place to find all the information you want about the Book Society podcast, and that is at booksocietypod.com. We have a website, links to old episodes, schedules for upcoming episodes, blog posts about each episode, credits, all kinds of fun stuff. So booksocietypod.com. You can learn more about this guest and many of the other guests on season two by going to miamibookfair.com or following Miami Book Fair at Miami Book Fair on socials, hashtag Miami Book Fair 2021. The Miami Book Fair 2021 is the nation's largest gathering of writers and readers of all ages. Everyone comes together, 
shares new ideas, shares old ideas, gets to talk about new ideas with the people who wrote them. And it's pretty cool. There's authors all around, all kinds of book people, readers, writers, and it's just a big fun hang. And it's in Miami. I've never been to Miami, so I'm really excited to go this year. If you're going to go, reach out to the Book Society podcast, BookSocietyPod at Gmail or at BookSocietyPod on Instagram. I don't really check the DMs on Instagram, so definitely send an email if you want to connect at the Miami Book Fair. And we'll see you there. I do have to say in your introduction, I'm really laughing, but I think you said the name of the book was Madam Dead, and it's actually Madam Dread. So either I misunderstood or not, but it still really made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, Madam. Okay, that, that makes much more sense. I think the listeners know this, but I have a touch of dyslexia. And so I often misspell things and I often transpose words and it's a miracle that I've gotten this far in life, but this is just what I do. So yeah, you probably wrote Madam Dread and I said Madam Dead and then I wrote it on your bio. So that happens. Sorry. Let's just call it charming and move on. <laughs> <laughs>